If you would, go ahead and take your Bibles this morning. You can open those. If you need a Bible, there are Bibles in the pew in front of you. Uh, Again, we welcome all of our visitors that are here today. I hope that you will take time to fill out those cards. And uh, if you did not drop that in the plate, you can just set it on the table on the way out there in the uh, corridor, and we'll pick that up. I just want a a record of your visit, and uh, certainly appreciate appreciate you being here today. Uh, We are continuing our study this morning through Thessalonians. And we come to one of the most popular verses and passages found in Thessalonians. This is that subject that, whether you're a believer or unbeliever, people across the world, they're very interested in this subject. Today we're looking at the rapture. What is the rapture? What is that all about? There's been books, there's been movies made. Uh, This subject has been talked about. There have been false prophecies continually made. There have been groups that have uh, sprung forth as a result of this teaching. But what is the truth about this subject? One of the things I want to do... Uh, Lord willing, we won't get on uh, all of it here this morning, but uh, we'll continue this study. And Lord willing, we will discover what the Scriptures say in truth in regards to this subject. If you have your Bibles there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. By the way, uh, if anyone, let me go ahead and clear this up. If anyone ever sets a date on the Lord's return, you can bank on it, it's not that date. And that is the truth. The Bible says no man knows the hour or the time. I mean, that's not hard to figure out. But yet, time and time again, folks say, 88 reasons why the Lord's going to return in 88. The Lord's going to return on Saturday, October, whatever. I was pleased to to hear, I guess, the most recent... uh, one to predict such things. He, he uh, got it wrong a couple of times in the past year. Um, he had gotten it wrong before that. Um, I understood made a, a, an apology and acknowledged that he was wrong. And I hope it's a genuine repentance. And hopefully we don't see any more dates set by that fellow. But let's take a look today as we continue our study in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll begin our reading in verse 13 of chapter 4. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, By the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself would ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds 
to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Father, I pray this morning that you would allow me to be a clean instrument. That you would just allow me to be a conduit of your grace. That I would be a vessel for your honor that I would be simply a messenger to deliver your message. Help me, Lord, to retain the things that have been studied. Um, And Father, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes, that we might see spiritual truth, that we might be encouraged today as we look into your word. And we will thank you and give you the praise. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Quick review. Paul is in Corinth writing to those believers in Thessalonica. And he is in a transitional point in his letter. And he is writing because obviously some folks there in Thessalonica, they have had a little bit of persecution. There's been some things that have been going on. Hey, Paul experienced it. Remember when he was there? Him and and, and Silas and... Uh, and Timothy, they got ran out of town, chased out to Berea. Um, and, and, and then eventually Paul sends Timothy back, and, and now Timothy's come and giving a good report. Hey, the believers in Thessalonica, they're growing and they're doing good. And, and so now Paul's received this good report, so he's writing back because he wants to go. He wants to be there, but Satan's hindered him from going. And, and so he, he just he's, he, he wants to be with them. And there's certain things that he felt like, you know, in just a short amount of time he was with them, he really didn't get to pour into their life the truth he really wanted to. So he's writing this letter to help establish some of these things. Well, evidently, there amongst those believers, since they had been there last with them, some of those believers have died. Some of them have passed away. And so put yourself in that local church in Thessalonica. There's this truth that had been talked about by the Apostle Paul that this same Jesus Christ who was crucified, buried, and rose from the dead and talked and was witnessed by over 500 at one given point and and people ate with Him and sat with Him and talked with Him and then some saw Him ascend up into glory. And now... They've been commissioned to go and and tell everyone this good news. That Jesus Christ came to offer life, to give forgiveness. And with that message was also this. Just as he left, he will also come again. Yeah, he's temporarily gone away, but he's coming back. He's coming back for all of those who believe in Him, all of those who put their hope, their trust, their faith in Christ alone. And so this idea of the believers in this great appointed time to come, that they will be gathered. They had heard this. They knew about this. This had been talked about. Paul had talked about this. But now some saints have died. And so there's this concern. Well, what about those who've passed away? Are they going to miss out? 
I mean, what about Aunt Bessie? She's gone to the grave, you know. She was a good Christian, and we love Aunt Bessie, and, and Aunt Bessie's not here. And, and, and you know, with the trumpet sound, well, what's, what's the deal with Aunt Bessie? So there's this idea of, of uncertainty. And this has obviously caused us a bit of emotional distress amongst these believers. And so Paul is writing to address this. There are three other things that Paul's already dealt with in chapter 1 also. So, so to kind of sum it up, look back in, in, in chapter 1 real quick. Look in chapter 1, verse 9. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols. You see, the Thessalonians believer, they, 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 these guys weren't always believers. They had a past. They used to be caught up in, in the idolatry worship of the world. They were just like every other person in that area. And they were doing what was right in their own sight. And yet... Paul has written and he says, look, I know your past. You turned from idols. You turned from idols. And the present is they've turned to the true and living God. Notice it continues there in that same passage. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And notice he also encourages them with the future. You not only turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's important. There's a a, a lot of theological discussion, a lot of theological debate on what happens to the church, to the believers. Now, I don't want this message to be so much about the theology of the end times and the the rapture. I want to stay true to the context of the book of 1 Thessalonians. And so let me just be real clear up front. We're not going to go real in-depth today, this morning, on the subject of end times. Eschatology, that's the big word, that's the study of end times. Now, I hope to eventually do maybe a Wednesday night Bible study or Sunday night Bible study where we can pull up our cup of coffee and we can gather around the table back there and we can discuss it. We can look into it. And and we can uh, iron sharpen iron as we seek to study and, and explain some of these sometimes difficult truths that are taught in Scripture. So my focus this morning is more to stay on the context of the book. And what is the context? People were hurting, people were depressed, people were emotional because some believers had already died. And his whole point in going off on this tangent, if you will, is to say, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. This teaching should be an encouragement to believers. The idea of the Lord's return, the fact that we are waiting on the Lord's return and to know that one day He will return for His bride. He will return for the church. 
should be an encouragement to us. And so in the context here, Paul is writing to, to bring some encouragement to these folks who had loved ones who, who had already passed. So, what's happening? Well, the Apostle Paul starts off by, by again, reminding there of, of their past, their present, and their future. Let me make this clear. The church will not go through the Great Tribulation. Did you not read that passage? He says that, he, that uh, to those who wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. You've heard of the law of double jeopardy, right? And I know that doesn't do it justice, but the idea is if someone's been tried for a crime, they can't be tried for it twice. Okay? Speaking general terms here. Well, guess what? Jesus Christ hung on a cross over 2,000 years ago. He paid for the penalty of sin. That was paid almost 2,000 years ago on the cross. We have been justified. Those who have come to saving faith and trust in Christ, they have been made right in the sight of God by what Christ did upon Calvary. If you, by faith, receive that atoning work on your behalf. Oh, you can choose to stand in court yourself and, 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 uh, and try to pay for the crime all your own, but it's already been paid for. And by the way, if you try to pay for it on your own, uh, the payment is eternity. Separated from the presence of God and all His goodness. Or you can receive what's been done on your behalf, what Christ did at Calvary. Honey, you dropped your brush. I don't think it was distracted. I don't believe anybody noticed. So, what about this? The penalty has been paid in full. A believer who has received the grace and forgiveness of Christ, the crime's been paid for. The wrath to come, the great tribulation that will come upon this earth is the wrath of God will be poured out upon this earth. And we'll go more into that in 2 Thessalonians. There's more there as well in regards to this. And actually even in the next chapter we'll look, chapter 5. So stay tuned for that. Or better yet, don't stay tuned for that. We don't want you here for that. If you're here this morning and you have not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't want to catch that part of the action film. So Paul says in verse 13, realizing this is the past, this is the present, this is the future, he's now writing to these folks who are hurting, who, who are, are somewhat discouraged, and he writes to them, and the first point he says, be informed. Be informed. Notice he says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. I've heard David Jeremiah speak on this, and he said, you know, uh, that's, that's the largest denomination in Christianity, the ignorant brethren. But you know what? I'm not trying to be ugly, but it's true. The majority of Christians 
And, and please, I don't, don't take this personal. Maybe if you do, then maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. But the point is, we should not be ignorant, brethren, concerning the truth of God's word. He's given us his word. But let's be honest, we're quite ignorant when it comes to really knowing what this book says. I wish that they'd have kept that bottle in here because that's a great illustration. Quite frankly, most of us are, uh, that, 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 you know, we're babes at best in Christ. Now, we should desire the milk of the word, right? That we can grow thereby. The only way you're going to grow and mature and stop being ignorant, brethren, is by feeding on the Word of God. And so Paul knows, look, the, and by the way, when I was studying this and, and, and listening to some messages on this this week, it hit me. I thought, wow, this is good stuff. Because I can tell you, most problems in people's lives, most problems in churches, quite frankly, comes back to lack of knowledge. Ignorance. And I find that Paul's addressing an emotional, hear me now, an emotional problem is to inform them. A lot of times we, we go on our emotional whims. We allow our emotions to lead us in what we believe is right or wrong or this is true or that's true. And we get all worked up about it. You just don't understand and we let our emotions rule us. And so these people, and, and they, they were getting emotional because Aunt Bessie's going to the grave and she's going to miss the rapture. And I just said, yeah, I love Aunt Bessie. I, I don't know exactly what was unfolding there, but we know according to the scripture, this bothered them. And so Paul's wanting to calm that storm. You want to calm your storm in your life? You're a little emotional, whatever's bothering you or whatever's eating at your soul or whatever's troubling you. Be informed. And it's going to come from the Word of God. Paul says this. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. Or another way of saying that, I want you to know, brethren. These are transitions he uses. By the way, one of Paul's favorite transitions. When you go through the Scriptures and read the Pauline epistles, those aren't his guns. Those are the letters he wrote. And he'll use these phrases I do not want you to be ignorant. I want you to know, brethren. It marks a change in the subject. And so Paul's been talking about some other things, but now he's changing the subject and he's saying, I don't want you to be, uh, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who've fallen asleep. Wait a minute. Uh, Paul, Aunt Bessie ain't sleeping. She's dead. Well, This is a term that is used often in Scripture to refer to those who are dead. They're asleep. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. A lot of people get confused on this one. Why would the Apostle Paul use such a word as sleep? What does this mean? We know it. Plain and simple, it means they're dead. Their body is in the grave. It's not just a dirt nap. The body's there. 
But what about those who are asleep? It's a unique word used for Christians in temporary repose. What does that mean, temporary repose? It's temporary. That body is going to the grave, but guess what? It's temporary. It's a Greek word, koimeo. It's used here in the present tense form. In other words, those who are continuing to fall asleep in the church. (laughs) I'm not talking about my preaching this morning either, though I see some of you nodding. Don't think I don't recognize it. Some of you would be better off paint eyeballs on the back of your eyelids. You might get away with it. But no, what he's saying is, there are people in the church who are continuing to die. And the Lord's not returned yet. So, so Paul, what about these people? And so Paul's saying, look, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who are dying. By the way, that word koimeo is also where we get our word cemetery from. Also, um, it's, it's the root for our word for dormitory. Like a hotel. And so these people are temporarily staying in the dormitory. They're temporarily checked into the uh, dirt, dirt motel, <laughs> bodily speaking. Understand this. When sleep is used in Scripture for Christians... It always has to do with the body being dead. John 11. Lazarus has died. The term used there. He's asleep. Even the disciples, uh, he's dead. Jesus goes there. Calls him from the grave. Acts 7, you find Stephen being stoned to death. And yet it uses the same phrase, that he's fallen asleep. But in regards to these Christians, it always speaks of it being the body being dead. Not, now hear me on this one, this is not a reference to Soul sleep. Don't let any heretic teach you that there's such a thing as soul sleep. How do I know this? Based upon the Word of God. Um, give you an example. Give you, give you an example based upon some of the ones we just talked about. Uh, turn over there actually to, to Acts. Let's look at that Acts passage. Everybody look over in Acts. Acts chapter 7. (coughs) And notice, in Acts chapter 7, if you'll fast forward on to verse, let's look over in 50, look in 57, we'll pick up some context there. Again, this has to do with Stephen. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who, by the way, later is Paul, the Apostle Paul. And they stoned Stephen 
as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. (coughs) Stephen knew he wasn't going to soul sleep. He said, receive my spirit. And throughout scripture, you'll find to be uh, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Luke 16. You know the story of of the beggar and Lazarus, the uh, the rich man. Again, you don't find soul sleep. Philippians 1.23, Paul says, It's hard press. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ is far better. He's struggling. Do I stay? Do I go? Do I stay? Do I go? It's acknowledged time and time again in the writings of the New Testament that if you leave this tent, by the way, that's all this is. This is a tent. Your body's a, as a believer, it's a temple, right? This is a temporary abode. Let me tell you, you, listen, you, you that's inside that body, when your body dies, you don't die. You go one of two places. You go to be in the presence of the Lord, Eternal life is actualized in that moment. Or you go to hell. Now, that may not be a popular subject. You may not want to hear that. But that's the reality of the Scriptures. To deny that teaching is to deny God Himself. Jesus Christ came and taught. In fact, that's... His reason for coming is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. So when you leave this body, and you will leave this body, 10 and 10 people die. Newsflash. 10 out of 10 people die. Your body's going to go into the grave, or it's going to get, what about people get burned up? Make them in them yearns. It's an urn, but anyway, you know what I'm saying. And I don't mean any disrespect if somebody's... Got Aunt Bessie up on the mantle. Yeah. Guess what? It's not going to confuse God when He returns for His believers. That'd be kind of cool, won't it? Those ashes are, you know. Bing! Glorified body. I mean, we are talking about God, folks. He spoke and everything that you know existed. I don't think he's going to have much of a problem with what man did with a few matches. I'm just saying. All right. So, he says, look, you need to be informed. I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. You see, the body of believers, it's a temporal death. But those dead apart from Christ... It's eternal death. Notice, not only does he say be informed, he does not want them to be ignorant. Not ignorant, but not in despair. He says, he goes on and tells us this, uh, that uh, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who've fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others. 
who have no hope. You see, a lot of folks are in despair because they don't have the hope of eternal life. There are a lot of folks that, and you've seen it, you've gone to the funerals, and and when they lose that, that significant other, now that doesn't mean that we don't sorrow, but Paul says we don't sorrow like others who have no hope. You see, when you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you recognize that He is... He is the first fruit of those resurrected. Just as He rose from the dead bodily, the promise is extended to all those who believe in Him that they too will one day rise bodily. And we have this hope that one day, and we wait for the Lord's return because we realize that whether I die or whether the Lord returns before I die, the truth is the same. The hope is that eternally we will forever be with Him. And eventually, in a glorified body. And we'll get into how this all unfolds uh, as we go through this text. But he says, I don't want you to be in despair. I don't want you to sorrow as those who have no hope. And again, how sad. There are many in this world that have a false hope. They think they are going to be okay because they do good works. They think they're going to be okay because they know this guy named Allah. There are many in this world that think they're fine because uh, they know Buddha. There are many in this world that have false hope, but they're confused about Confucius. Do you follow me? That is false hope. Yes, they have a sense of hope. They think they may be reincarnated. They think or they hope that they may do this or do that. But the truth is, according to... To Almighty God. There's a way that seems right to man. But the end is death. Yet Jesus came into this world. The unique Son of God. God incarnate. And He said. I am the way. The truth. And the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Now you can get mad at me for preaching what I'm preaching or how I'm preaching. But you have to recognize that you're not rejecting the messenger. You're rejecting the message. And that's a serious thing that we need to think about. If we're, if we're here this morning or we're listening via the radio and somehow this stirs within you a, a bitter anger or, or, or a, 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 a wall, we need to ask, why? Why am I so resistant to this message and yet so embraceive of all the other messages? We talk of tolerance in this world today. And yet everyone is so tolerant of all these other beliefs except for that message I just delivered. And I can't tolerate that. I know why we have that resistance that comes up in our heart. It's because this book is true. And it's because of what Jesus said is true. And because we are, according to this book, born spiritually dead, we are born as and go through this world as enemies of God. I didn't say that. God said that. Well, well, I'm a nice person. You may think you're a nice person, 
But when we're measured against the perfection and the holiness of God, there's none righteous. There's none good. No, not one. And until we see ourselves the way God sees us, we'll reject the only lifeline that God has given to man by which to save us. You see, that's why Christ came into this world. He came to seek and to save the lost. And He's offering His hand to whosoever will. Let Him come, let Him come. And yet there's something within the heart of man in, in, in that spiritual deadness, in that rebellion that says, No, I don't need your help. I don't believe that. I want to do this my way. I don't buy into that. And we, in essence, reject the one thing we so desperately need. So Paul says, look, I don't want you to be ignorant. I I want you to be informed. I don't want you to be in despair, sorrowing like those who have no hope. So Paul's therefore going to inform them about the Lord's future gathering of believers. And this is what he begins to do here. He wants to teach them about this future gathering. Notice how he begins this in verse Um, 14. He says, look, I I don't want you to be ignorant. I I don't want you to sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe, now this is foundational truth number one. If we believe, by the way, that's probably better translated since you believe. Because again, he's writing to believers. So he's saying, (coughs) excuse me, since you believe that Jesus died, Do you believe Jesus died on the cross at Calvary? Do you believe that Jesus Christ was God incarnate and that He went to Calvary to pay for your sin debt? That we all owe a debt we can't pay and it's because of our sin. We're all sinners by nature and that's the whole reason Jesus went to Calvary. He died. Do you believe that? Paul's writing to these believers and he says, Since you believe that Jesus died and rose again. Very important to what he's getting ready to teach them. Jesus did not just go into the grave and that's the end of the story. See, that's what separates us from all other world religions. All those others are still in the grave. Jesus Christ is the only one who rose from the dead, victorious over death, and is alive today. Allah's not alive. Buddha's not alive. Confucius, not alive. But Jesus Christ rose bodily. And so he says, you believe Jesus died and rose again? Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. You see, he talks about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, you want comfort concerning loved ones? It starts with knowing Christ. The resurrection and the life. Christian? I know many of you have lost loved ones. Family members. Moms, dads, sons, daughters. I don't begin to understand that level of pain. I know that time, if the Lord tarries and I don't go first. 
the reality is I soon will probably experience that pain. But you know, for those of you who've had loved ones who were believers, I imagine you understand this passage a little better. It's not to say it doesn't hurt. No one's trying to negate that. Sure. But there's hurt with hope. With genuine hope. And that's what Paul is trying to convey here. Please continue to pray for my, for my dad, my mom. I love my mom and dad. My dad's health's... I talked with him last night, and uh, it's hard sometimes to have a conversation um, with a dementia setting in. Many of you have walked that road. You know what it's like. Um, but I'm still unsure of my dad's eternal state, and that greatly concerns me. I don't want my dad to step into eternity and, and, and that being uncertain now, it's not that we haven't shared. We've shared. We've shared all we know to do. All we can do at this point is simply pray. And I'd ask you to pray. Because I can tell you, if my dad went to the grave and I knew he had come to a save, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that he had truly trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior, and that was communicated to me, I could tell you that would be a, it would be easier if I could use that word to process, knowing that I will one day see him again. And many of you have had loved ones go on who are believers. You have that hope within you. Look, and that's what Paul's writing. These are to be encouraging words. You're going to see them. You're going to be with them for eternity. And Bessie that you love, she's going to be there. In fact, she's going before you. She's going to beat you to it. Notice what the text says. He says that um, just as Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord. Now that's important. You might want to underline that. You see, Paul's informing them. He's informing them not to be ignorant, not to be in despair, and he's doing it by the word of the Lord. MacArthur makes a great point. You know, speaking of this death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and this in regards to this idea of, of, a, of a Christian sleeping, think about this. <coughs> the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. No wonder God, in His infinite wisdom, in reference to the body of Christians, refers to it as being asleep. Jesus has defeated death. He has removed the sting. It has been overcome. And those who know Him have turned from their sin and trusted in the living God. They have a hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 speaks of the sting of death is sin. It's like a bee sting. You know what happens when a bee stings? It loses its stinger. It's rendered ineffective, useless. Christ took the stinger in His body. 
death no longer has a sting for those who receive His atoning work on their behalf. Amen? Even so, because of Jesus' resurrection, (coughs) we can have confidence in God that He will do this very thing. That when He returns, and this is the hope He's trying to give to these guys, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So Paul wants them to be informed. He also wants them to be encouraged. And again, how? By the word, verse 15. This we say, by the word of the Lord. Those alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. Paul is warning these believers to know that. Look, don't worry about Aunt Bessie. She's not going to miss this great gathering together. There's coming a day, church. Paul's writing to these believers. By the way, does Paul think this is going to happen in his life? Absolutely. Those believers in Thessalonica, they get so concerned, they even think maybe they miss it because persecution's arising and they do start to endure some hardships. They're thinking, well, maybe we missed this rapture. Maybe we're going through this great tribulation. And so Paul is writing to inform them to clear up a lot of stuff. And we'll get into more of that because we're not going to have time today. (coughs) But here's the point. Paul wants them to be informed. He wants them to know the truth. That those who have died, their bodies have gone to the grave but they are very present with the Lord. And next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about how this is all going to unfold, how when the Lord returns Himself and there's this shout, there's this trumpet, there's this voice of God, and how these dead in Christ, those bodies scattered all around the world, whether they be ashes, whether they be lost at sea, whether they it doesn't matter how they went and decomposed. In that great getting up morning, in a twinkle of an eye, it'll happen. And those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air together. Together. With Aunt Bessie. (laughs) With the loved ones. Together. Forever with the Lord. Now I'm going to leave you with this thought. Take a little play from Jimmy D. Young's playbook. Church, as we go through this, I do want to give you enough information so that we kind of stay clear on the timetable of how things will unfold according to Scripture. 
Don't confuse the second coming of Christ with the rapture of the church. And we'll look at the differences, and there's great differences found in Scripture. And we'll hit on these. But what we're talking about in Thessalonians is in regards to the gathering together of believers and then being removed from this planet for the purpose, it's twofold, there will be a message that will go out during this great tribulation and there will be multitudes that will be saved during that great tribulation. This is mainly for dealing with the Jewish nation as a whole. But there will be many from many tribes, many tongues. I personally believe that have never heard the gospel will hear the gospel and those will be the ones that will be saved. I'm not real convinced that those who've heard the gospel understood, key word, understood the gospel will have a second chance. Just ask those that changed their mind when the ark shut to Noah's nice ship. There's a lot of them changing their mind wanting to get on board then. But judgment was being poured out. Don't confuse the gathering of the church, the body of believers being taken out of this earth so that the wrath of God is poured out upon this earth in in great judgment in the great tribulation period. Because we know according to the scriptures there's seven years of great tribulation that will hit this earth like never seen before. Earthquakes in diverse places that will shake the earth like it has never been shaken before. All kinds of catastrophic events will begin to take place during the wrath of God being poured out upon a world who has rejected the truth. They refused, they refused, they refused to receive the love of the truth. So God gives them over. Don't confuse the rapture with the second coming of Christ. This is the second coming of Christ. This is the rapture of the church. We know, according to Scripture, I don't know when this is going to happen, and I don't know the time and date that this is going to happen, but I know this, according to Scripture, between this point and this point, the taking of the believers out of here, that there will be a seven-year period that will fall upon this earth called the Great Tribulation. And at the end of the great tribulation, when all the nations have gathered together for the great Armageddon battle, Jesus Christ will return with His saints and will step foot on the Mount of Olives. And He'll speak and decimate those armies. And He will establish the thousand-year millennial reign upon this earth. His kingdom will come upon this earth. The Bible says there are signs that tell us about His second coming. He says in Matthew, He talks about when you see the signs of these things coming, it's not yet the end, but there are hints, there are indications that the second coming is near. You can look and begin to see hints of the second coming. So you know what it tells me? If we see the signs of the second coming and we know it's seven years after this time, how soon is this? 
You know, the Bible says it could happen at any moment. Church, there is no other prophecy that has to be fulfilled. On the prophetic timetable, according to God's word, this is next. God taking his church out of this world. It's next. And then the wrath of God is poured out upon this earth, the great tribulation period, until the end. And if God doesn't come down, they're going to kill and decimate themselves anyway. God comes in, wipes it out. Those who have been saved in that time will enter into the thousand-year millennium. These are truths taught in Scripture. And we will unfold this, not so much from a pulpit ministry as probably a Bible study ministry. But know this. We already see the signs of that. How much sooner, how much quicker, how prevalent is this time? It could be today. Are you ready? Father, you know the heart of every person here. You know that amongst us there's believers and there's unbelievers. Lord, my, my purpose, my goal is not to frighten someone, though if, if someone is frightened, they should be. According to Scripture, those who've sat in a church like this today and heard the Word of God and, and have been given an opportunity to respond to the, to the saving message, the hope of Jesus Christ, his death, His burial, His resurrection done on their behalf if they would simply by faith turn from their sin and receive that gift of forgiveness. Receive Christ as their Lord, their Savior. They could experience that eternal life. And yet, Lord, there are those who may be listening today and For whatever reason, they, they're unwilling to turn from their understanding and put their trust in, in what God has revealed and what God has said in His Word. Lord, I pray for them today. Be merciful to them. Lord, remove the blinders of their minds so that they could see clear and understand the truth. That Jesus Christ came into this world to seek and to save the lost. And He took upon Himself the sting of death. There's no need for them to experience that. Lord, help us to have comfort and understanding about loved ones who've gone on to the grave that have trusted Christ, to know that they are in Your presence and to know that one day, Lord, we will be together. Father, I, I just I feel burdened this morning that there may be some that aren't ready today. They're not ready for your return. And yet, Lord, you could very well return before the service ends. Lord, call them to yourself. Help them to see that you love them with an everlasting love and you're not willing that they should perish but that they would come to repentance. 
I wonder if there'd be anyone here this morning who would say, Pastor, I'm not ready for eternity. I've never trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know Christ. If that's you, you know it's you. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just raise your hand nice and high and pull it back down. I don't know Christ. I'm just being honest. I don't know Christ. If I die today, I'm not sure I'd have a home in eternity. I'm not sure I'd have a home in heaven. Is that you today? Maybe you can't slip your hand up. I still want to pray for you. Father, you know the hearts of every individual. And if your spirit is dealing with someone right now that they don't, they don't have that assurance, maybe. maybe. Maybe, Lord, they just don't have assurance of salvation. Lord, deal in their heart and life so that they can have the comfort to know what they believe. That your spirit would testify to their spirit that, you, uh, that they belong to you. And Lord, if there's someone who's never trusted Christ, that they would take that step today, the first step. That they would call upon Jesus Christ to save from their sin. I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I've broken God's law. I, I, I acknowledge these things and I recognize that apart from His saving grace, I cannot do anything in myself to save myself. But I acknowledge before a holy God that I believe this word, that Jesus did come, that Jesus is God in the flesh, and that He was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, that He went to the cross at Calvary to pay for my sin debt. The wages of sin is death, and I know if I got what I deserve, I deserve death. But I also acknowledge that what Jesus said is true. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And by faith today, I turn and acknowledge my sin and I, and I call upon the Lord. I believe Jesus died on Calvary for me. I believe He rose from the dead. And I call upon His name and say, Jesus, save me. Save me. He promised, whosoever, that's you, that's you, whosoever shall call upon his name shall be saved. And these things I've written unto you that you may know. Those of you who believe, who trust in the name of Jesus Christ, that you may know that you have eternal life. God said it. You can trust it. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning making that prayer, they would let us know. They'd make it public. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Lord, if someone here has believed, truly believed today, they've been set free from the penalty of sin the power of sin, and one day, the presence of sin. Help them to rejoice in knowing that truth, and may they share the good news with others. Father, I ask that you be with us now as we go our ways.
protect us, help us to be watchful and aware that, Lord, you could return at any moment. May that affect how we live. May that affect what we do for your name's sake. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.